Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Hello, everyone. We have a special episode for you today. The following recording is part of a class taught to members of the Worth program by women who are working their own recovery. It's edited to keep the class participants' information private, but we wanted to make it available to you to give you some insight on what's available at Worth. We hope you enjoy. I really just want the spirit to kind of take me wherever this goes here, but uh, I am an open book. So if you have a question about a nitty gritty, just like Alana said, you can text her um, and we can answer questions at the end. I am not shy about it. I'm not easily offended. I can answer anything. So that for that purpose, ask away. But right now I just kind of, I'm going to, I guess, generalize my story. Um, and so I've really kind of experienced just about everything you can imagine. I mean, from finding out his pornography addiction that he had before he even got married. I got married at 19, a uh, ripe old age of 19. And we have four children, four beautiful children. My oldest just got married in October. She's 22. And I have two girls, two boys. My youngest boy is 12. And, um, and then I actually just got remarried a um, year and a half ago. So I have three stepchildren, eight, seven, and four. So I'm from 22 to four. Yay. Um, and so it's been quite a journey. But when I got married so young, and at that time, knowing nothing about pornography, certainly not knowing that it can be an addiction, and not knowing what to look for, being very naive, all that. I know a lot of us kind of share that um, aspect of the story. But he had, um, there was infidelity um, several years into their relationship, uh, multiple women, strip clubs. I mean, you know, like, uh, honestly, who knows what else? I never had like a full disclosure. Uh, it all was little piece by piece. And so I've never had a full disclosure, but uh, the gut doesn't lie. But there was financial uh, infidelity. He was actually caught embezzling money from his own company which caused us to lose everything. Lost home, cars, I had to sell furniture, I had to sell everything, jewelry, whatever I had. Um, and it turned into a prescription drug addiction, which uh, really, I think, escalated more of the abuse. I think when, when there's pornography or any addiction, abuse um, tag teams that in some former fashion. Uh, I think I probably saw all of it. And there was a lot of unrighteous dominion and priestcraft that actually got really worse towards the end. But all the while he was putting on this front for, you know, everyone else and everyone, like he was the nice guy. He was fun. He was giving like super great guy. Right. And I certainly didn't help <laughs> any of that by keeping the secrets and playing my role in that. Um, but all along I was dying inside. I mean, I had no self-worth. 
I was completely broken, uh, depressed. He had lost yet another job and refused to get another job had said that he was, there was a point where he was like getting up early in the morning and studying his scriptures for like four hours. And every morning I'd come in and he would have some new revelation that God just told him that he needed to do. And it was, it was wacky. Like, <laughs> anyways, it was super wacky. And, uh, but every day there was this new revelation that God, you know, told him to do. And one of these was that he needed to run a baseball camp with the youth league and I just could never get on board with that. I never had my own revelation about that. And it was, it was a power struggle. It was really hard. He really felt like one of his revelations was that we were supposed to live off of welfare so that he can do this great work. And um, like, that's just not how God works. And I knew that, but I didn't have the priesthood. So I don't get to say that kind of thing. Anyways, I, um, I got to the point we had had it. We were actually going to some party and we started arguing about this. We got arguing about it and I, uh, I just lost it. Like it, I just snapped and I just couldn't stop crying. Got in the car, it drives me home. I just cannot stop crying. I lay in bed, I'm crying. An hour goes by. I mean, I've never <laughs> cried like this. And I, I just could not stop. I think it was probably an hour and a half goes by. I just can't stop crying. And in the middle of it, I remember sitting up and gaining enough composure to say, call my mom. And then I went back to crying. <laughs> and I, I don't remember, honestly, anything else. I, there's so much EMDR that still <laughs> is left to do with all that. So that's still struck in my trauma brain. But so somehow I got on a plane the next day and I don't remember the flight. I don't remember how I got on, how I got off. Um, the only thing I remember next is waking up at my parents' house in my, um, in one of the bedrooms. Like that's the next thing I remember. But my mom tells me that when they went to go pick me up from the airport, um, they couldn't find me. And they, I think we're like searching probably, I don't know, 30 minutes or whatever. And she said that when they finally saw me on the bench, uh, they just didn't recognize me. I guess they had passed me like a few times and they just didn't recognize me. And I guess my dad was like, oh my gosh, he broke my daughter. Um, needless to say, with the help of my parents, uh, we had to set some boundaries and put some things into place and make a plan. So um, at that point, like we just needed to kind of, I mean, he needed help. My dad called it the two by four effect. <laughs> he needed a big two by four against his head and uh, to wake him the heck up. Um, but while I was at my parents' house, I uh, was really, really trying to figure out what to do and if I should leave and how this, how this looked, what the Lord thought, you know, and I opened my scriptures and I started reading and it was that with that determination of reading, like, I am not going to stop reading until I get an answer. I am very stubborn. And so I was like, I'll just keep reading. I need an answer. And so I was reading along in Messiah and I came across a verse when uh, the people of Lemhi were trying to escape. And as, as I was reading about how they were going to escape, um, I read the words and therefore I provided an escape route. For you. And 
I, it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. I mean, it was hard in my face. I have provided an escape route for you, Amy, go. And because we had already kind of figured out a plan and I just wanted to make sure like this is really the thing to do. And this was my answer. And um, what's crazy though, is when I went to show my mom, like, look what I found. Um, this is, this is it. Look at what he said to me. I couldn't find the verse. Um, I couldn't find those words, the words, and therefore I will provide an escape route for you. That was a miracle for me because the Lord told me what I needed to do. And, um, I saw it through the scriptures. So that was a miracle. Um, but I'd like to, I'd like to go ahead and really in, so in kind of base everything I'm talking about in today in Exodus chapter 14, this chapter honestly explains kind of my journey the best. So I'm going to use this story. Um, so in the story up until this point, the children of Israel have been set free. And at some point the Lord tells Moses to turn directions and actually head towards the sea and camp there, right in front of the, the ocean. And back in Egypt, the Egyptians are wondering what the heck they just did and letting, you know, letting their slaves go. And they were super ticked off and they're going to go get them. And so, um, in fact, the word uh, in there, it says the word pursued, they pursued them. And under that footnote, it says the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, will my lust shall be satisfied upon them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. So this is where their hearts are at, their mindset, they're evil. And so the children of Israel, they, they're, they see this army of 600 chariots coming after them. And so of course they're freaking out and fear completely overcomes them. And they turn to Moses and they're like, you freed us only to let us die out here in the wilderness. Like what the heck? And, um, then they, and this is so profound. And then they say this, it would have been better if we stayed and remained slaves than die in the wilderness. Like this doesn't sound crazy. That is crazy. They would rather go back and be slaves again and enslaved and captured and have no freedom, oppressed, than do what they're doing right now. And it seems so crazy when I read that, but actually I know exactly how they felt because I felt the same way in my own escape. So I had a little less than three days to get my kids, uh, go, to, go back to Kentucky from Arizona, get my kids. I said, pack a box. We all packed a box, loaded up the car. And um, we drove from Kentucky to Arizona. And it was horrible. Um, my car kept overheating. Uh, I was stranded a few times. Um, I finally figured out that if I pulled over every three hours and kind of let the engine cool off, it would stop overheating and kind of keep me plugging along. And then I think the next day something went wrong with my tire, but it was a Sunday and I was in this small town 
nothing's open except this junkyard that I found. And I was, I went in and the guy's like, yeah, go ahead, look around, try and find this tire. Like he wasn't going to look, <laughs> just go back in and, and wander around and find this tire. So I'm wandering around this junkyard, um, looking for this dumb tire. And my four kids are waiting in the car. It's starting to rain on me. My husband was blowing my phone up, telling me, stay right there, stay right there, that he's going to come and get me and bring me back and, you know, force me if he has to, whatever it takes, you're coming back. And I remember standing there looking up and thinking, I can't do this. Maybe it would be better to go back. Maybe it would be better if I returned to that bondage. So I can totally relate to why that looks better. Because I felt I had this ocean in front of me. I knew God turned me towards the ocean. I mean, I had my answer. I knew he turned me towards that, just like he turned the children of Israel towards the ocean. But I felt like I'm standing there and the ocean scares me. I have like such a fear of the ocean. So <laughs> this analogy really freaks me out. <laughs> so I felt like I'm looking at this ocean and then I feel like there's this army behind me coming for me. So what do we do when we find ourselves living in between an ocean and an army? That's a frightening place to be in. So in verse 13 and 14, it says, and Moses said to the people, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. So Moses says a couple things there when they start freaking out. Don't fear, be still, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you, by the way. The Lord will fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. And then in 15 and 16, the Lord says to Moses, essentially, why are you crying to me? Go talk to the children of Israel. Go talk to these people, your people, so that they will move forward. Like, get them going. And then he tells Moses, oh, and by the way, I'm going to part the ocean. I'm going to have, there's going to be a miracle. So miracles are not only meant to help us know that God is real, to increase our faith and resolve in Christ, but to also help us move forward, to progress spiritually, just like it says in this verse so that they will go forward. I mean, they were stuck. And Heavenly Father does not want us to stay stuck. We, he puts us in positions, like he positioned them, right? To have the ocean in front of them, where they couldn't go anywhere and an army behind them. So sometimes we're positioned to be stuck between an ocean and an army, but that's not where he's wanting us to stay. And a lot of times when we're experiencing this, especially betrayal trauma, we feel stuck. And then we blame him. You put me here. You put me in front of this ocean. What the heck? So, but if we really look at the big picture and especially kind of what happens in this story, 
we forget that the Lord said, by the way, I'm going to part the ocean. And I'm going to show you a miracle. One of the things that we can count on in this life is that after we receive revelation and answer, where we know what we just got from God, we can always count that Satan will surely come and try and get us to question that and cause fear every time. Just count on it. But parting the ocean is going to look different for each of us. Um, but it's still a miracle and it still requires faith. So standing there in that junkyard, thinking that it would be better if I just go back, that made me feel captive and those feelings again. And I knew that and was reminded that the Lord provided a way. He provided an escape route. He told me this. I knew that. And I knew I needed to move forward. Somehow I find, found the dumb tire and was able to move forward. And, and I, I mean, I stood there and I had, I imagined the walls of the parted sea that it would come crashing down on me at any moment. If I did move forward, it's like, great, glad you parted the ocean, but that doesn't look fun to walk through <laughs> at any moment. It can come crashing down on me. Right? So again, even if we, we know we need to move forward and we're trying, it's very fearful because, well, what if this happens? And especially with those of us who've had the abuse, we, we know it's going to happen again. It's just a matter of when. So trusting the Lord is really, really hard. Um, but what keeps us from seeing the miracles in our life is fear. And I wonder if sometimes if we don't even see the Lord actually parting the ocean in front of us, that, that we don't even see that miracle, that a lot of times we just, you know, stay stuck and just stare at the ocean. Um, so going back to this concept of living between an ocean and an army, Moses told them, you know, a, a few of these things, like I mentioned, and I, I really want to focus on these principles that, that helped me, um, all the times that I was standing between my ocean and army. And so the first thing he said was don't fear. And I know that's easier said than done. Um, one of my favorite scripture examples, um, is third Nephi chapter four, when the Nephites um, are being attacked by the Lamanites and the Lamanites have shaved their heads, painted their bodies or naked. And the Lamanites start charging the Nephites and they see the Nephites drop to the ground and they assume that it's because of fear. But really it says this, but this thing, they were disappointed for the Nephites did not fear them but they did fear their God and did supplicate him for protection. Therefore, when the armies of Gideonhai did rush upon them, they were prepared to meet them. Yea, in the strength of the Lord, they did receive them. Have you ever considered that the Lord might not stop the army from coming after you, but that he can actually prepare you to meet that army? In that strength of the Lord, they did receive that army. Have you ever considered that through Christ, we can actually have enough of his power to receive what's coming at us? I know that seems impossible. And to even consider that for, 
for some of us. And, but I, um, I invite you to consider that it's possible. Um, during my divorce, I saw a lot of ugly come at me. And one night um, I had got a text from him and it was very um, frightening, caused a lot of fear. And once again, I found a miracle. Um, I found the ocean path open in front of me. And in the scriptures, I was reading about Laconius and Laconius just received this letter from Gideon High. And as I was reading this letter, I realized how much it was just like the one that my ex just sent me. It was threatening, uh, twisted and manipulating to make it seem like Laconius was the bad guy. And so I was so intrigued to see how in the world Laconius was going to reply. And then I came across this verse and it says, and he could not be frightened by the demands of a robber. Therefore, he did not hearken to the epistle. Didn't even hearken to the letter. That was my answer. I did not need to hearken to him. So I know, I know this seems like a no duh moment, but after being abused for so long, I had so much anxiety and fear over how to even respond to a text or an email from him. I mean, I went into like complete shutdown mode. I would have an anxiety, a literal anxiety attack where I couldn't move my body. Like, like one of those real attacks where your like limbs are paralyzed just over how to respond. And, and because of how like he twisted everything and accused and it was threatening. And so anyways, for me, this was a total game changer. The thought that I actually don't have to re hearken and respond. And so this was a miracle for me. Um, I had actually written this in my journal and, and I hope you don't mind me sharing this with you, but I, I said that um, I had written down this. I have learned that fear is debilitating. Even when we understand the concept is yet another thing to actually replace our fear with faith. It's a second by second, then minute by minute choice. Eventually it becomes day by day choice and the fears that once were suffocating will become more and more in the distance. Fear is only as big as I allow it to get. It makes trusting God easier, and then I can trust myself easier. To have unmovable faith does not come without a price. Letting go of my wants and accepting God's will. It's harder to do in the midst of evil, but I testify it's possible. So remember the miracles along the way. Okay, the next thing he said was stand still. So how in the world do we stand still with an ocean in front of us and an army behind us? Um, finding a place where we can be still, being still in our thoughts, being still with the Lord. Um, my place to stand still is the temple. And about a month after I had moved to Arizona with my kids, um, I had... Um, I think I had decided, I think I had decided to divorce at that time. Um, but was still like in conflict about that and doing the whole, well, is this Christ like, um, number on myself to divorce. And, uh, I, I knew I had to get to the temple. So I was still like unfamiliar with Arizona in the area. And so I just typed in LDS temple into my Google maps and off I went and I thought I was heading to the Mesa temple. I was in um, Glendale. Uh, yeah, Glendale. And so I was, thought I was heading to Mesa. And I um, 
totally forgot that they had just built the Gilbert Temple. Um, but that's where my Google map took me, <laughs> was to Gilbert. And so I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, wait, what? Where am I? And I mean, it was, it's beautiful. And so it was a pleasant um, surprise. I am glad it made the error. But while I was there in the temple, I had such a desire to hear from my heavenly father. Um, I was like, okay, I need to hear from you. Like, I need your voice. I need to hear something from you about what is going on. And I was super determined. So I went through the session and I'm listening and listening and trying to pay attention and not really hearing anything and um, went through the whole session, nothing, and slightly irritated by that time. And then I'm in the dressing room and I'm taking a really long time to undress, <laughs> thinking I'll hear something any minute, get undressed, nothing. Now I'm a little more irritated. And then I'm taking my clothes that I borrowed and I'm putting them, you know, in the little bins and I'm just like, okay, I'm getting ready to leave now, anytime, <laughs> I just bring it on and still nothing. And I'm just like, oh, I'm not leaving. So stubborn. Um, so I, I, I literally, I'm like, okay, fine, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Maybe I'll get it there. So I go to the bathroom and still nothing, which I get not quite the appropriate place to give me inspiration. So I get out of the bathroom and I'm just like, oh, fine. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Not going to have it today. And um, so I just decided to leave. And as I'm walking out um, of the women's room, a woman passes me. I'm going out. She's coming in. And as she passed me, she kind of backed up and she's like, um, excuse me, but she's like, are you by chance a picket? That's my maiden name. And I was kind of, it stunned me. And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> she goes, are you so-and-so sister? You mentioned my sister's name. And I'm like, yeah, that's my sister. And then she tells me her name, which I can't remember, but apparently she was at my sister's wedding and I was there and she had met me or something. And, um, so I was like, Oh wow, small world. Great. Ha ha. You know, whatever. And I just, you know, was not in the mood to chat at that point because I was super mad that I did not get something from Heavenly Pot. So I really wasn't in the mood to talk and be polite. Um, anyways, we're, she's talking or whatever. And then all of a sudden she just kind of stops and she looks at me and she goes, okay, I have to tell you something and I have no idea what you're going through, but I feel like I need you to know or that you need to know that your heavenly father wants you to be healthy and happy. And tears just flowed down my face because that spirit was so strong when she said those words. And I knew that that was my message from heavenly father that day. And I find it so ironic and so godlike that it was right as I was walking out the door when I didn't expect it. It's almost like, I know you're stubborn and I'm not going to appease you, you little three-year-old who's <laughs> throwing a fit right now. But that was a total miracle for me. And so when we stand still, we can hear him. Um, I also have to say that I know that sometimes... Um, we can't get inside that temple because of our kids or for whatever reason. But let me tell you, there are parking lot angels, in case you weren't aware, for drive-through visits. So if you just need to drive through, there are angels there too, and it's powerful. 
I think uh, the Phoenix uh, parking lot has um, a lot of angels. They know me very well. Uh, <laughs> I think I had a reserved parking spot just for me. But um, remember the miracles along the way. Okay, the next one is uh, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you. So it's only through our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can attain, attain salvation. But have you ever thought about what it's like to see his salvation in your life? So again, the temple does this for me. It's so easy to lose that eternal perspective while we're um, going through these trials. And at least for me, I guess I shouldn't speak for everybody. It was very easy for me to quickly lose that eternal perspective. Um, and attending the temple always left me feeling like, okay, I know I'm here on earth. Okay. I remember what the savior did for me and why, you know, I need to, why I need him. Um, and to remind me that I want to return to him and that there is no other way. There is no other way. Our savior accomplished what it takes for us to return back to him. Um, and so I know that seeing his salvation is what heals our hearts, mends our wounds. It softens our hearts and it also helps us to see the miracles, but it's really hard to let the savior save us when we are still tied or tethered to whatever is holding us back. Um, one time I was leaving my son's baseball game and my ex was there and he did, I did a really good job at avoiding him. But at the end of the game, he tracks me down and starts, starts in on me. And it needless to say, by the time I got to my car, I was sobbing and I sat in my car. And again, I was just like, Oh, heavenly father, when will you save me from this evil? Like enough of this, when can I be free from this? And right as I said that, I, was, I had this vivid picture come to mind of where my ex was, had this, he was standing there and he had this rope tied around his waist and I was tied around my waist on the other end of the rope. And I was shown that, that he, as he was dragging, as, as long as I was tied to this rope, he was dragging me along and I was being beat up, scraped up along the pavement bruised, broken. And that if I just simply untied my rope, that I would be free. And the spirit showed me what I needed to do to untie that rope and to be free from that. The savior cannot save us if we keep that rope tied. And there's lots of ways that we hold on to that rope. We feel justified in it and it can be very confusing and scary to untie it, but the savior will save us, but we have to untie ourselves from what is going to drag us in the dirt. Okay. The next one is he will fight for you. So another favorite scripture that helped me was in, um, DNC 9811. And it says, and I, the Lord would fight their battles and their children's battles and the Lord and the, their children's children's until they had avenged themselves on all their enemies to the third and fourth generation. <laughs> so 
So you might be able to guess why I loved that verse so much. Um, I may have been in a justice seeking revenge phase at that time, but I loved it. Um, mainly because it kind of took the pressure off of me. Um, reminded me that the Lord is the one who avenges and, and has that justice. But all throughout the scriptures, we can find um, examples of when the Lord willingly fights our battles. But do we trust him enough to do this? One of the things that I found that happened pretty quickly after uh, I lost trust in my spouse was I lost trust in God. I think it's, at least my counselor <laughs> told me, that's kind of normal for that male figure in your life that you put so much trust in. Um, when that fails, every kind of male figure uh, follows in that lack of trust. And so I, I really struggled with trusting God for a long time and had to work very hard to get that back. But do we trust him enough to, to do this? And, and can we let go of our justice-seeking and revengeful attitude enough to do this? And um, so I had an experience one day that, that again, led me to like total loss of hope. Um, my, my faith in the gospel was even shaking from this experience. I was shaking, like totally trembling, crying, and, and desperately seeking, um, pleading with Heavenly Father for help. And as I was kneeling by my bed, I heard him say so clearly and so strongly yet so lovingly, don't you trust me? And it was in such a way that I could almost see the expression on his face. Like, have we not been through enough together? Have I not been there for you? Helped you? Trust me. I've got you. It was so strong and so powerful and it truly helped me trust him just a little bit more. Several accord appearances that I had um, over the span of four years um, were all loaded with fear and trauma for me. Um, I had one experience where I walked in the court and my ex had brought a friend of his that I knew was not a good man. Um, I had to sit right behind them and the intimidation and just sheer evil spirits just surrounded them. It was just too much for me to handle. And I couldn't breathe. Um, my mother was sitting right next to me and um, she could feel the same thing, but she was more or less doing mama bear and like noticing me that I was not okay. And I sat there and I was just completely paralyzed. And I just had no idea how in the world I was supposed to stand before the judge with them staring me down and with so much of this like evil, um, I just prayed and prayed and prayed the Lord would, um, would help me fight this battle. And I know my mom prayed. Um, but it wasn't, but like a minute later that I felt to a, a total light just kind of form around me. Um, it was like this bubble almost that I kind of felt and I felt a calm and assurance just like no other. And it stayed with me until after I spoke with the judge and kind of did my part. And then I left the courtroom and I just collapsed. And my mom and I were in the bathroom and I just collapsed. And my mom at that point shared with me a very sacred experience that um, she was privileged to witness on my behalf. 
And it testified to me that the Lord truly fights our battles and that angels, they attend us. And so remember the miracles along the way. Okay, he also said, Moses, to the children of Israel, ye shall hold your peace. And we know that peace only comes through Christ. In fact, I was told a long time ago, and I love this, that peace is actually the only thing that we can expect. We can't expect anything else. We can't expect him to change our circumstance or to give us something, um, but we can expect peace. And it's something that is um, unimaginable to think about how we can even possibly have peace when we have an ocean in front of us and an army behind us. Um, I love the talk by Elder um, Uchtdorf called Grateful in Any Circumstance. Um, I read that one like so many times after I learned just how much gratitude can, uh, how it helped me hold my peace um, and keep me from fear and confusion during um, my, my hard times. Um, being single was, and trying to like make it on my own financially was really, really hard. And at one point I had to get a new car, new used car. And I had to use all of my emergency fund that I saved um, to get a, a new used car. Basically just another clunker. But, um, and even that story of how I even found this car was a miracle. But um, one day I was driving this car that I got and I, was, I don't know, probably a month maybe after I got it, the check engine light comes on. I just could not believe it. I was so mad. I had just used everything that I had to buy this, this stupid car. And um, like I had prayed about it. I fasted. Like what the heck? You know, I did everything I was supposed to. So nothing's supposed to go wrong. <laughs> and um, But I was super mad. And so I dropped it off at the mechanic and got home and I walked like from my front door straight to my bedroom because I was going to have a little chat with Heavenly Father about this. I was so ticked. And um, I knelt down by my bed and I looked upward and I was planning on saying, why? Like, why in the world would you do this to me? Like, this isn't purposeful. And that's what I was planning on saying. But as I looked up, literally, um, I opened my mouth and out came, thank you for my children's health. And it shocked me because I was not planning on thanking him for every, anything at that moment. But tears started to just roll down my face as those words left my lips. And I humbled myself and then said again with more reverence, thank you, Father, for the health of my beautiful children. And then I just ended my prayer and went and made dinner. And um, I felt better. I, was, I felt a grateful heart. And the next day when I got a call from the mechanic, um, I was holding my breath, waiting to hear the damages. And I was stunned to hear that everything was fine. He's like, yeah, we can't, like the light went off and we can't get it to turn back on and there's no problem. Everything's fine. I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> Total miracle. But I had learned a valuable lesson that from that moment on changed me. And that the power of gratitude. And I just started thanking him for everything. I mean, everything, <laughs> the sun, the moon, for laundry, soap. I mean, you name it, I was thanking him, especially when I started to feel the fear and the panic. 
I just started naming things that I was grateful for. I mean, I'd be driving down the road and it's like, tree, tree, grateful for a tree. <laughs> rocks, like whatever. There's pretty much only trees and rocks in Arizona anyway, so not a whole lot outside to be grateful for. But anyways, um, it, was, it was a game changer for me. Um, and what's funny is that car got me about two years down the road without any problem. Um, but when the Lord knew I was a little bit more stable, one day out of the blue, the engine literally blew up, like just, <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I mean, again, I was like, okay, that's, that's a good one, Lord, buddy. Thank you for keeping it running for two years, whatever. But at that point, it wasn't like catastrophic. I, you know, was a little bit better off and I could find a, a better car, but anyways, and that was kind of funny. But I know that when we are blessed, um, to have power, um, that we can have power when, uh, and peace when we um, are grateful and when we're standing between the, the ocean and the army. Um, I know that miracles are given um, to help us turn to Christ. Um, I know that, um, that they help us turn to God. Um, Heavenly Father performed a lot of these miracles, if not most of them in the scriptures that I can remember, to show the people that he is God. So can you look back, but, but it's really to help us progress. Um, I really believe that. I really believe that those miracles that he shows us along the way is to get us to move forward because he knows that it's scary to be in front of the ocean. He knows it's scary to walk through it. He knows that. And so he shows us these miracles along the way to help us. So can you look back and see those miracles in your life? Has your testimony grown just a little? Um, do you know a little bit more about Christ? Do you have more knowledge than you did before? Are you feeling stronger? Like whatever that is, can you correlate that with, with a miracle? in your life um, and identify them. And I know that as you identify how the Lord parted your ocean, that you will find strength, you'll find hope, um, you'll find peace, you'll find power. I know those that, um, that have made sacred covenants through baptism, they have an added measure of the spirit to draw strength from, um, from that power. But I believe that the covenants that we make in the temple, um, can give us power to move not only through the ocean, but if God willing move that ocean and part it ourselves, the power to receive the army that is coming with strength in Christ. I know that it's through those covenants that we when we honor and keep them, that we can call upon the blessings that come, that we are promised. I know that we can call upon those blessings and receive that power. Um, there is no doubt that his power and the power that you carry with you through these struggles in your life, you can access. I know that we can find power in the priesthood through our temple covenants. I have witnessed it over and over in my life. I know that Heavenly Father wants us to be healthy mentally, 
spiritually, emotionally. I know that. And I know he wants us to be happy. I know that Heavenly Father wants us to do that. And he shows us that line upon line. I actually used to hate that phrase. Line upon line, precept upon precept. <laughs> okay, hate might be a strong word. I, it used to really, it used to really frustrate me <laughs> because I felt like most of the time I was coming at Heavenly Father ready to just do whatever needed to be done. Like, just tell me what to do. I'll do anything just to fix this situation or get me out of this trial. Just tell me. So I, I didn't like the thought of little by little, um, to just take me off. And, but it, um, <laughs> like, I just wanted to get it all done. Right away. Um, but Again, lovingly, I was taught by Heavenly Father that it's actually because he loves us that he gives us line upon line. And it's how he protects us. He's actually protecting us and caring for us by doing it that way and not giving us all of it. It's like if he gave us this watermelon, this entire watermelon and said, okay, you have to eat the entire watermelon in 60 seconds or you can't have salvation. Like that's totally impossible. So he says things like, how about you just slice the watermelon in half for today? Just do that. Because I think he knows a lot of us. Okay. Well, me, he knows that I'm going to spend half the day trying to figure out the best way to slice the watermelon in half. Like I'm totally going to overanalyze that and second guess myself this way, this way. So it's like, he's going just slice the watermelon today. I know that's all you can handle today because <laughs> he's, I mean, I know he's, he just rolls his eyes at me so many times, but he gives us just what we can do without trying to kill ourselves in the process. Because I know my heavenly father knows that I would literally kill myself trying to eat the entire watermelon in 60 seconds. Like I would do it. So he knows that. And so that phrase line upon line, precept on precept means something different to me. I take that now as Heavenly Father knows me and loves me and he is protecting me and he's only giving me just enough power and strength that I need for that day. And I think once I started to recognize that, it stopped me from um, looking ahead, stopped me from trying to eat the entire watermelon in 60 seconds. Um, I know that, that he is, I know that he's there for us. I know that in due time, he parts the ocean. I know that the savior stands behind us, protecting us from that army. And I know that if we let both of them help us and have faith in them, that we'll be okay. Um, I am eternally grateful for my story. I would never, I would, I remember early on hearing someone stand in sacrament meeting and saying, or testimony meeting and saying, I'm so grateful for my trials. I think I barfed in my mouth. I know that's like, I, I just could not even imagine. I'm like, yeah, right. I will never say that. And here I am saying it. So I'm sorry if you just barfed in your mouth, but I really, truly, honestly, I'm so grateful for my trials because I am who I am today because of everything that I went through. It was nothing I would have chosen, but I am grateful for it. The Lord knew that this path, how he took me through 
was what I needed. I am so grateful for my journey um, and very blessed. And I owe everything to my savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful that I got to know my heavenly father in a way that I would never have known him before. He was my partner while I was single for that many years. I didn't have, you know, a man in the house to kind of help me keep an eye on these kids. And I told him, I was like, all right, you and me, you got to have my back. I do not have all of these eyes anymore. And who knows what those kids are doing. So you got to just like light me up when I need to, you know, pay attention to one of one of them. And so he would, I just looked at him as my partner during those times that I was single. And, um, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful relationship. And I, in fact, I remember, um, sorry, one more thing, thing, and then I'll, I'll end. But I, I remember, um, when I got engaged, um, again, several years after I was in the bathroom doing my hair and I was having conversation with Heavenly Father, like I always did. And I had a distinct impression, um, that that relationship was going to go away with that, that intensity was going to go away once I got married. And then it was supposed to be that way because I now had a partner, but it was a little hard. I didn't want to let that go because he's a perfect partner. I know he still is there for me. Um, I know that he still listens, but there's a sweetness that comes with that. And I just want to testify that you have, as a daughter of God, the right and privileges to that partnership with him. And it's beautiful. And I just want to testify of that. Um, oh, sorry. Is there any questions? Thank you, Amy. Yeah, some questions came in. Um, one is my fear is stepping into the marriage instead of away, but the unknown is terrifying. How do you make that leap? So your fear is? The fear is stepping into the marriage. So after the betrayal of like going okay. back towards the marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so the unknown, like you had mentioned earlier, the unknown for you was terrifying. And so they feel that, but going towards the marriage. Yeah how do you make that leap into like that unknown? And just jump. <laughs> it, it goes back to honestly trust. I, I really think it's just trusting. Um, because everyone's situation is so different. I mean, I, I obviously um, had had many D days along the way. I knew he had had, um, an affair. I didn't know how many and how long, but I, I knew he had one and, and I still was committed to stay. And so I can relate, like, how do you, okay, all of this and it's scary. I don't want to trust you again. And how do you jump in? So I can relate to that. And I'm trying to, to think, um, I just trusted God. I trusted that, that it was what I was supposed to do at that, at that time. And I know it was, um, it's easy to look back sometimes and go, I should have left a lot earlier because of how much abuse, but as I have the advantage of looking back and having that hindsight. And I know that when we are asking God and when we are communicating with him and in tune, you'll know 
But until then, you just have to jump and trust Heavenly Father. Um, I think that's, I don't know, that's what comes to mind right now. It's so scary, I know. But I remember saying that I, to, to Heavenly Father, oh my gosh, I am hanging off the cliff by my fingernails now. Like at first it was my hands and I'm sliding and then it was like my fingertips. And I remember saying, okay, now it's my fingernails. And a couple years into it, um, I had the thought, he just grew my fingernails. <laughs> he just kept growing my nails <laughs> because I still felt like I was hanging off the side of the cliff for so long, but he just grew them. It was okay. All the way until I could just stand and I was now standing. <laughs> Weird analogy, I know, but that's how it works for me. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so that kind of leads into the next question. Um, did you see miracles in the moment or was it later that you were able to look back and see them? Oh, in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know that for a lot of, a lot of people that does take practice. Uh, I, but I noticed the miracles along, along the way. And so I paid attention. I'm a journal writer. And so I would write them down and going back and reading them saved me so many times when I didn't have one. I mean, there are many times when I, you know, I didn't have that answer to prayer and um, where I was left confused and I went days or weeks or months or, you know, whatever with feeling like, where are you? Hello. And so the blessing of writing them down and going back and reminding myself, okay, I know he's there. Help. Like I said, help me move forward. It kept me moving forward to remember those miracles. But yeah, I saw them along the way. Oh, and I love that, that answer because the next question was, it sounds like every time you asked for a miracle, you got one. Is that true? Um, just about. And I know how that comes across. God is no respecter of persons. I truly believe that you will see the miracle and it's going to be different for everybody. I mean, not everybody's going to see uh, the, the car being magically okay, a miracle. Some might just not even think about it and just think, oh, okay, good, glad. Now I'm not have to think about my car anymore, you know, move on. To me, I chose to see that as a miracle. So do you see how every one of us has that ability to open our eyes and see those things because God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't just say, okay, you can have this many, you can have that many. Eh, I don't think you can see them right now. I'm going to, I'm going to make you wait a while. Like he does not work that way. Uh, Amy, there's a question in the chat. It said, um, thank you for your story. I'm wondering about something. They say, if you don't work out your own personal issues that took place in the first marriage, you'll repeat them and you'll likely choose someone similar to your first husband. How have you seen that in your situation or did you not feel that applied to you? No, that totally applies. I, and I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I think it's really difficult to get to the point where you can let go of, well, okay, me, I keep saying you, for me, it was very difficult to get to the point to let go of the justice that I was seeking and the, the anger and even revenge a little bit. Like it was really hard for me to let that go and to trust Heavenly Father. 
And I think once I let that go and kind of like that story of when the Lord showed me untie that rope, once I did, um, the rest of that revelation that came for me, like those were one of the things that came, I had to start looking toward to me, the things that I needed to change. Uh, it was very, I got caught up in what I thought he needed to change. Uh, even after the divorce, like I didn't want him to even be married to me again, but I still was like super hung up on what he needed to change. So once I flipped that and started to really you know, I, I got intense on my therapy and EMDR and um, journal writing and doing a lot of, of that kind of work on myself, not because of him, not doing, oh, I need to work on this because he ruined me, which is what I was doing in the beginning. It was just self-improvement things, recognizing that uh, I have a controlling nature and I really need to work on, on that for, you know, for myself, for my children nothing to do with him. So absolutely. And, and because I was able to do that hard, yucky, not fun work, uh, I can see the blessings and the benefits that that has added to this new marriage. My Scott, my now husband, he actually went through the same thing in the process of trying to save his marriage. She checked out and didn't want to go to counseling and do the work and he did. And as he worked on himself and the things that he could see in himself, um, he brought all of that new stuff to the table as well. And it's um, been very healing for both of us. So I absolutely think that that's so important. I mean, you're not gonna be perfect. It's not like you have to be perfect to do it, but um, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. And another question came in. Did you receive promptings before you were given the opening to leave? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did. I was really hung up in, in the name of being Christ-like phase. Like anything that, that came to my mind that looked negative. I judged myself by saying, I can't believe you just had that thought that's so unchristlike. When in reality, the you know, my gut was saying, This is not right. You need to correct this. And so uh I I hung out a lot in in I'm doing this in the name of being Christ-like or whatever. I, I lived in that place for a long time, but, um, I definitely can see how little by little the Lord pointed me in that direction. And again, it wasn't, it was as much as I could handle, right? It was, I mean, if he had told me, uh, what did I do leave in 2014 or whatever, if he had told me in 2012 that I, you know, needed to leave, I was not ready. Like I can look back now and go, oh, I get, I get why he just did this little part and then this little part. Um, so, and in my journal writing through, uh, as I've recorded the things that, um, that I've learned through this, my number one thing that I learned was how quickly, like you just said, how quickly Satan uh, destroyed my ability to listen to the spirit because I questioned everything that I felt. And it's so frustrating to look back 
in fact, I was, I was reading through, I was preparing um, for um, another class and I was reading through some old journals and it was very frustrating even now to look back and read some of the things that, that I was saying um, that I knew was wrong, I knew needed to change, um, but then doubted myself. So that's hard. But I, 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 again, I honestly believe like Christ knows, God knows why that's happening. And I have seen so much grace and so much mercy come to me as his daughter to compensate for that. I don't feel, I don't feel him judging me or, or mad or blaming me or saying, you know, you should have, you know, why didn't you? I don't feel that at all. I feel his compassion and his love. Like, I know, I'm so sorry that, that you got to the point where you couldn't hear me. And so um, that was one of the first things I made sure I did was learn to hear him again and trust that I was hearing him and believe it. And that was a cool experience to work through. That was empowering. Um, we are just about out of time. So anyone who needs to leave is welcome to, but I don't want to skip this question because I think it's a really important one is how did you help your kids with the trauma? That's an awesome question. Whew. I don't know how to answer that without pulling on my mama heartstrings. That, that's hard because I think I stayed, I was so worried about my children and how this would affect them. I was uh, really concerned that I was going to be the cause of their whole life being ruined. And I didn't want to do that. And that was really scary. But anyways, once it all happened, once it was time to leave and it all went down, uh, the first thing I did was put them in therapy. I found a great therapist in, in um, Arizona and sent them to therapy regularly. So I did not, my, my the, the therapist told me, you know, their job is to be kids. So I was not to talk about things with them, uh, use them as my emotional support. I got clear counsel on how to navigate that. Um, and I would, I, I mean, anybody who asks, my advice is put them in counseling right away. They need to have their own support outside of mom and dad. They get very torn and confused. Um, even, I remember being shocked. Like, how can you be confused? He's homeless. Like, what is confusing about that, you know? But now that I understand more of how kids think and how they, how they work, it's just, it's very difficult and it's very sad. But uh, I would, I put them in therapy and they uh, had wonderful experiences. They learned how to work through their own trauma and how to handle their dad and me through all of that. With regards to, I think someone asked this um, in a class the other day, with regards to what do I tell them about their dad? That was tricky. My daughter, oldest one, saw more. She saw more of the abuse, more. She actually caught him one time looking at pornography. Uh, <laughs> and so she saw a little bit more of what was happening. Um, so she got to learn and know a little bit more. The second one, unfortunately, heard, overheard uh, 
me say, you're the one that cheated on me. And so she had that knowledge. So we had to address just that. The boys knew nothing. And the counsel was, that was not my job to inform them. But if they had questions and came to me with questions, then I could answer. And again, only answering, you know, what they can probably handle at that time. I really prayed very, very hard at when to know the right, uh, the right time to know when to tell them. I think I was in a group, someone else made that same comment. And I was like, amen, that hands down, like heavenly father will know when the right time is for your child to have information, um, that they need. And so that's how it's worked little by little. My, my kids have asked questions and they've been ready to know. And, and, and you can tell what, this is funny. One of my kids, when I was telling them just a little bit, uh, in answering their question, well, it was both my, my boys, my youngest, it was the craziest thing. They're sitting on the couch. One of them, my youngest literally flipped upside down and started like standing on his head as I was like talking, like it was so crazy. Like, that's how he was trying to handle all of this information. He's always like, this is so much. I can't do this. I just like flipped up over. Oh. Anyways, it's, it's so traumatic for them. It's so hard. It's such a hard thing to navigate, but God knows them better than you. And he knows what they can handle and when, but therapy hands down. Hope that helps. Thank you, Amy. Um, and I will agree with therapy all around for everybody. Um, so thank you. Thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for sharing, um, just the beautiful miracles that you have in your life. And, um, and I pray that anyone who is listening to this can learn to recognize the miracles like you've shown us tonight, Amy. It was just beautiful. So thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org to enroll in a therapist-led support group or to check out our blog. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or wherever you may listen, or simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode because you are worth it.